chapter 8 and Romans chapter 6. I ask you to please pray for me like you would want me to pray for you if you were up here. God knows my heart. I do not. I do not want to be up here preaching just to be preaching. Amen. I would love to be of a blessing and a help to you. That's right. Yes. I've always needed a lot of help. I mean, when God saved me, He saved a, a mess. I think I was worse than a reject from the Salvation Army. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I send you. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. It's obvious from the context the kind of a freedom he's talking about. Freedom from sin. Verse 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Are you free? I'm going to ask you another question. Are you free indeed? Now turn to Romans chapter 6, please. Romans chapter 6, I'll be again reading with verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, shall we continue to be controlled by the sin nature? Sin singular. He's He's not talking about the acts of sin here. He's talking about the principle of sin, the damnic nature of the sin nature. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin? Live any longer therein. And that means exactly what it says when it says what it does. Amen. You can relax. I'm not fixing to preach on sinless perfection, but I am going to preach what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's given us in this book. Amen. Verse 3. Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism and the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Here's one of the key verses in this chapter. Knowing this, do you know it? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That means to render inoperative, to make of none effect. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead 
is freed from sin. Boy, aren't those beautiful words? Glory to God. We don't have to be in bondage. We don't have to be a slave. Just a slave to Jesus and that's all. Thank God. Verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead doth no more death hath no more dominion over Him. When that He died, He died unto sin once. But in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the left thereof. Folks, that's a command. Neither you, your members, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but you yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as intimates of righteousness unto God. Verse 14. Great verse. Amen. For sin, that is that sin nature, shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Amen. We're not under the law which represents what we do, under grace which represents what God does. But I'm going to tell you right now, living under grace will make you lawful and not lawless. I can't do it this morning, but I can take this Bible and prove to you. I'm said, I, say, I say with the Bible, I can prove to you that the standard under grace is higher than the standard under the law. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. We're coming back where we were. Verse 15, for what, what then? Shall we stand because we're not under the law, but under grace, God forbid? Know you not that some... Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, but of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness you may be seated. I lead in a brief word of prayer and then I'll bring the message. <clears throat> now, Father, our God in heaven, Father, so good to be here. God's so good to be saved. Father in heaven, God, thank you for saving our souls. I thank you, Jesus, for saving my own soul and water being hell. But thank you we ain't going there. Father, I thank you don't give us what we deserve, and that's justice. I thank you give us what we don't deserve, and that's mercy. God, I thank you mercies than you ever want. Now, God, I thank you, Father. God, I thank you just but God this morning as you were yesterday or the day before. Just but God now you'll ever be. Thank you, God. Oh, God, how great. How great, God. How glorious, God. How good, God. Now, Father, do what I can't do. That's open eyes to truth here this morning. God, you know, I can't make anyone see this, but God, you can cause us to see it. So, oh, God, in Jesus' name. Please, God, enlighten our eyes of understanding that we may know truth that will liberate us and set us free for the glory of God. Oh, God, in Jesus' name. If there's anyone struggling here this morning, trying and failing, deliver them, God. Set them free. God set them free. 
Oh, God, now fill me the Holy Ghost. But Brother Daniel, when he comes after us, thanks for all these men of God, thanks for what we've already heard. God, I thank these are precious brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, there ain't no people like your people. There's no God like you. There's no one like you, Jesus. Precious Jesus, sweet Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Forgive us for not loving you as much as we should, though. Jesus, name we pray, amen. <coughs> you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. I'm going to share a little of my testimony, hoping maybe it will whet your appetite for what I'm fixing to try to preach on and cause you to see the importance of it. My brother, he's 16 months older than I am. He's deceased, of course. And so when I was born, mother wanted a girl, but I missed it a long ways. I was a 12-pound boy. <laughs> and that's no exaggeration. But I wasn't the biggest baby that was born in that county. The biggest baby was Terrell Reedy. He weighed 15 pounds, and he's born at home. Well, the Bible says there were giants in those days. <laughs> but they had to use, back in those days, you know, they had to use forceps to bring me in this world. And it damaged my mother's health. And in due time, I realized that, that I was an unwanted child by my dad. Mother wanted a girl, and daddy didn't want me, period. That's the truth. My daddy was a, one of the most dangerous men I've ever met in my life. My daddy's nickname was Hot, and he lived up to it. He would kill you at a drop of a hat if you messed with him. That's the honest truth. God knows I'm telling you the truth. I, I seen my daddy take a walking cane one day and beat a woman over the head right there in our house. That's on the street. I saw all of that. Then one day in front of the house, he beat a man over, over the head with a walking cane and beat him all the way down to his knees. And I can tell you the man's name. It won't get daddy in trouble. He's deceased. His name was Charlie Johnson. I'm, I'm giving the name because I want you to know I'm not making any of this up and I'm not exaggerating. He beat that man all the way down to his knees and after that he began to have epileptic fit, fits and in due time he died. Then in the peanut field there, I came up on a farm in South Georgia. Then in the peanut field there one day, hit a man and got in a fight and daddy took that pitchfork, came across his face, ripped his face open. You could have seen his teeth to his top lip for one of the paws, ripped him open. He hit the, bound, he hit, he hit the ground flat with his back. Daddy took the fork and started to put it right through his heart and kill him, but there was a man behind him, grabbed the handle, and kept Daddy from killing that man. My Daddy kept a tree-brand pocket knife in his pocket and kept it razor sharp. Then I've seen him pull that knife and go after people, shoot at people, Beat people in the head with claw hammers, ball pen, hammers, whatever you can get his hand on. You could not reason with him. The only way he knew how to reason was to fight. You say, well, what in the world made him like that? 
His daddy was a drunk all of his life. He abused my daddy. Made him mean. You take a dog out here and beat a dog and beat him and beat him and, and you'll make him mean. That's what happened to my daddy. I could tell you more stories, but I'm not. I will just say this. When I was just a, just a kid, my daddy got mad with me. And God in heaven, my witness, I didn't do anything wrong. I knew he favored my brother. I knew he loved him. Rejected me. And so my brother jumped on me in the yard there at my granddaddy's house, my daddy Jim Taylor. Uh, my daddy's dad, I mean. When my brother jumped on me, I pushed him back like this because I didn't want to get in a fight with him because I didn't want daddy beating on me. But when I pushed him, his feet slipped out from under him. He hit the ground and started crying. Out that house came my daddy. He grabbed me and took me off out there and pulled a limb out of a peach tree and beat on me, beat on me, left marks on me back in those days. Well, I couldn't understand him. I couldn't figure him out. I was so puzzled. Then I remember when I was 18 years old, I came in from school. You say, what in the world were you still doing in school when you were 18 years old? Well, I flunked eighth grade. That's one. Had to take it over. But anyway, I came in and he met me at the door. Boy, was he angry. He accused me of having left the faucet on out there close to the barn where we put water in the kettle for the cows. But I didn't do it. I know I made some mistakes, but I didn't do that. I, I, I know I didn't. Some of you that have had cattle, you, you know what I'm fixing to say. A cow, I've seen him do it my own two eyes now. A cow can take his tongue and turn a faucet on. But I ain't never seen one turn them off. <laughs> I could choke that cow. <laughs> Built a thing around it after that so he couldn't do it anymore. I ain't no glutton for punishment. <clears throat> but he accused me of that. He was mad, boy. And folks, it wasn't liquor. He didn't drink liquor. He used to. But then he quit. It's just all that abuse from his daddy made him mean. So, I was 18 years old. I started walking off. I heard him coming up behind me. I thought, oh, no. I turned around and faced him. When I did, I'm telling you exactly what he said. He said, I'll kill you. I knew him a minute. Because I done seen him kill so many people. I mean, nearly kill so many people. I knew it. Well, it felt like somebody put a knife in my heart. So I left the house and started up the dirt road and pouring down rain. He said, where'd you go? I just went to live wherever people would let me live. I didn't feel like I had a home. Eventually I came on back home. Then eventually I got saved. I got saved when I was 20 years old. God called me to preach. He fought that. He didn't want that. But I just went ahead and tried to be Christ-like, you know, in front of him. In due time, when I would 
be asked to preach in a little country church or something around home. An old Chevrolet pickup truck, white and red Chevrolet pickup truck, would come pulling up in the church parking lot. And the man would get out and come into church. And oh, I was so happy. It was my daddy. I was so proud. It was my daddy. And he sat on the lap for about a year, then at the Carolina Baptist Church on the Carolina of Houston, Dooley County. After service one night, <clears throat> when this evangelist was preaching, he hit the altar. I never had to hide on the house anymore. I never had to run away from home anymore. After that, I'd put my arms around my daddy's neck, and I'd say, Daddy, I love you. He'd say, Son, I love you. That's what the grace of God can do. That's what Jesus can do. And so, I told you all that for this reason, so you see the importance of what I'm trying to preach on. All that rejection drove me into a life of drunkenness, debauchery, a wicked, wicked lifestyle. I guess what I was doing, I was trying to find some relief from all the emotional pain that was in my heart, and there was plenty of it in there, knowing I was an unwanted child. And uh, so when God saved my soul, when God saved my soul, my life was just really, really messed up. I'm not going in detail. It would be wrong. It would be wrong me going into details of my past. I just want you to know that I'm dealing with this matter of victory over the flesh. I'm preaching on a biblical basis for victory. I just want you to know that I indulged the flesh and indulged it and indulged it and just kept on indulging it so much until I, felt I developed some awful, awful habit patterns that I couldn't cope with. And when God saved me, I knew God saved me. But I'd live so much like the devil, so wicked before God saved me until although I knew I was saved, Sometimes I would have splitting headaches, that's no exaggeration, from trying to keep from going back in the sin. I'd have headaches just for trying to resist temptation. It was awful. It was horrible. After four and a half years, I, I thought, well, I can't take this any longer. I can't take this. I pushed the plate back. I said, I'm not eating another bite until God does something for me. Amen. Then those days of fasting and praying and waiting on God... I was in the home of a very specially mature preacher who had seen what I'm fixing to preach on, so he saw through me and knew what I needed. He came and put a book in my lap and said, I want you to read this. Some of you have that set of books, Weiss Word Studies. Four volumes said, I see you're doing your headline. It, it's in that third volume. He said, I want you to read this. It was entitled an Exposition of Romans chapter 6. He said, after that, you flip over here and read this chapter that was entitled, An Isolation of the Signature. It all happened in reading that first chapter. I read where that author said that when we were saved, the Spirit of God baptized us into the body of Christ. Therefore, whatever happened to Christ happened to us. Since he died, we died. Since he was buried, we were buried. Since he rose, we rose. Even right now, while you're seated here, we're seated in heavens in Christ. And that's another message. I don't have time to deal with that. But if you get a handle on that, you talk about 
another liberating truth. See, every saved person in here, you've got throne rights. You may not realize it, but you've got throne rights. On the authority of the Word of God, the devil has no authority over you and I. He has no legal rights to us. You're one with Christ. You're in throne with Christ. Seated in heavens. The Bible says what? Far above all principality and power. Woo! We don't have to do a thing in the world the devil says do. <clears throat> I was reading what that author said. Like turning that light on up there. Got to turn the light on. Now I saw that what I was trying to do so hardly had already been done. I was trying to suppress the flesh. I was trying to rededicate it. I was trying to get it to cooperate. I guess you could say try to, trying to die to self, trying to do it myself. Trying, trying, trying and failing. Trying and failing, trying and failing. And God showed me what I was trying to do had already been done. We'd already been crucified with Christ's beard, life. raised to walk new to life. That broke the power of sin in my life. Yes. So I'll hurdle and I'll give you this. And I'll be down in a minute. I want to notice four words, four questions, four facts, and I'll be done. First of all, I want to notice four words in this chapter. Again, I'm preaching on the biblical basis for victory. Every experience that I have must have a biblical basis. See, see, when we get away from meetings like this, we'll get back out to where the rubber meets the road, and we're not in that high, you better have something to anchor you. And I'll tell you what I'll do it. Sanctified him to thy truth. Thy word is truth. Truth of God. When the storms are raging, you can anchor down on this book. So the first key word is the word no. Five times in these 24 verses, counting verse 1 and chapter 7, you find the word no. Verse 3, no you're not. Verse 6, knowing this. Verse 9, knowing that Christ. Verse 16, in chapter 7, verse 1. There's something you and I got to know. You know, what you believe is what you are. That's right. I'll give you a good example of what I'm talking about. You look at all the churches now that have preached and taught all these years that you can lose your salvation the folks that believe that, they're just struggling. That's right. And churches are dying. See. I'm telling you what you believe, what you are. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, it makes a whole lot of difference when you, you know you're saved forever. You'll never get lost again. The word no. For example, in verse 6, knowing death that old man is what? Crucified. With him. That the body of sin might be destroyed and hit forth. We should not serve sin, not serve the sin nature. This knowledge here is not an intellectual knowledge. No, we can't get this intellectually. 
We get it spiritually. We get it spiritually in the heart. See, that's the reason why Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may what? Know. There's that word. In other words, God has opened the eyes of our heart the truth to know it. Surely sometime or another, you have been reading, or you've heard a preacher preaching, and all of a sudden you said, I see it, I see it. You know what happened? The Holy Spirit just enlightened you. He just showed you truth that was there all the time. You just didn't know it. So it starts with no. Next word, reckon. The Bible tells us, verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you got to know before you reckon, it's going to be pretty hard to reckon on something you don't know. I remember one author was reading behind years and years ago, and I read behind him again and again. And he said this, he said, they kept telling me, just reckon yourself dead, reckon yourself dead. He said, the more I reckon, the worse I got. Until one day he was upstairs at his desk, and he said, oh, God, give me light. That's the right prayer. Oh, God, give me light. And God showed him that he'd been crucified to Christ, buried, raised to walk in the newness of life. Started wrecking, he started wrecking on that. His whole life was changed and had a very successful, fruitful ministry after that. By the way, let me say something in passing. Your reckoning don't make it so, it's so whether you reckon it or not. Every, every saved person in it, here and out of here, if they could just only see it. They, they've already died with Christ, been buried, raised to walk in this life, seated in the heaven. Yet we're going out like this. Oh, me. Oh, me. Poor me. The Christian life is so hard. I'm going to tell you something. You didn't get that out of the Bible. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. If you find a Christian life hard, it's probably because you haven't seen it. It's probably because you're still trying to do it instead of letting him do it. What do you think he's in there for? He ain't in there to watch you and I do it. He's in there to do it. I kept, I kept looking for you, Brother Blue. I'm glad you're over there because y'all all know him and you got confidence in him. And he's a very learned man, a very smart, intelligent man. And Brother Blue, I happen to know preachers on this too. So I don't, I don't want you to think I'm preaching here as a strange doctrine. Coming back, we we away. No, reckon. We reckon it to be so because it is so. See. Yield, the next word. The Bible says in verse 13, Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Notice our yielding is to be as alive from the dead. In other words, realize that we're crucified with Christ and buried and raised to walk units of life, then we yield. If we yield apart from our position in Christ, we may be giving God something he don't want. You say, what? The self-life. The self-life. God don't want a thing in the world I can do. He don't want, don't want what you can do. He wants what His Son can do to me and you. That's what He wants. That's Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Yet not I, but Christ liveth. We're not just in heaven. Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm telling you, He came in to live. 
Then obey. Verse 16. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin and the death of obedience unto righteousness. That's the full key word. But notice it didn't start with obey, it starts with knowing. If we're not careful, we're going to get the cart before the horse. That's right. And then we're going to endure the Christian life instead of enjoying it. See, we need to know and we need to reckon and yield so we can what? Obey. See, folks, we better learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Under the law, blessing was the result of obedience. Under grace, obedience is the result of blessing. Woo! That's Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us past tense, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heaven and place in Christ. I'm telling you, you've got it all. You may not be expecting it all, but you've got it all. You've got it all. You're not going to experience one thing after God saves you, but what you're going to find out, you had it all the time. You just didn't know it. <laughs> Woo! 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 There's hope for folks like me and you. Amen. It don't matter if we are reject from the salvation army. There's hope for us. <coughs> Next of all, we've seen four key words. Now notice next of all, four questions. Number one, what died? Well, here's where a lot of misunderstanding comes in. What died? Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? How shall we that are dead to sin? Notice that we and sin are two different things. Sin didn't die. We died. That's right. Look at verse 6. Knowing that that old man is crucified with him. Who's crucified? The old man. The old self-life. That old man that gives us a headache sometimes. That old man is crucified and he's buried. Leave him there. Don't dig him up. You may have a stink on your hands. <laughs> so what died? We died. Not sin. See, what I'm talking about here, I repeat, it's not sin, it's perfection. You've got to remember what death in the Bible means anyway. Brother Blue and different ones here verified this. Death in the Bible does not mean annihilation. It doesn't mean extinction. What does it mean? Y'all know it means separation. Say, say, would you help me, please? (coughs) I want so bad to be able to help here. There's so much misunderstanding on it. So many people think you're preaching on sinless profession. All right, here's a Christian and a good man, but suppose I'm the sin nature and I can't do a good job of illustrate this because the sin nature is not on the outside, it's on the inside. But even in a believer's life, that sin nature, remember Paul said in Romans 7, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. That's proof positive right there. The sin nature wasn't crucified. We were. That sin nature say, John, pick up that can of beer. John, pick up that old dirty magazine, see. But if the sin nature's power of him is broken, and it is, then it can't make him do a thing. Thank you. 
You don't have to pick up them old dirty magazines. You don't have to pick up that alcohol. You don't have to watch them old dirty movies. You don't have to read them old dirty magazines and listen to that old dirty music. When God saved me, I said, goodbye, Elvis, goodbye, Beatles. If you listen to Elvis Presley, you probably need to be saved or you need to get right with God, that's for sure. I heard one Baptist preacher say to hear Elvis Presley sing, how great the art was about as equivalent with him as to hear Nikita Khrushchev sing, God bless America. have to go out singing I'm all shook up. You can sing on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground sinking sand. Woo! You don't have to be shook up. You follow that crowd you get shook up. You follow that crowd you follow one up in hell. Amen. I'm telling you standard under grace is higher than the standard under law. don't have time to prove that right now. <coughs> Coming back where we were. <coughs> Next of all, how, uh, when did we die? Look at verse 6. Knowing that that old man is crucified with him. With him. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. With Christ. That's when we died. We died when he died. Thank God we don't have to go through our whole life trying to crucify ourselves, trying to die. You're already dead. Furthermore, you're already buried. And you're already raised. And you're already seated in the heavens. Woo! I'm telling you, this is real what I'm talking about. It's Bible. I know it is. Romans chapter 6 is just much the Word of God. John 3 where it says you must be born again. <clears throat> you got to remember who wrote it. The great apostle Paul Probably no one outside of Christ knew more about how to live a Christian life than Apostle Paul. I think he's the greatest Christian ever lived. When did we die? When Jesus died. Next of all, how did we die? We died as a result of spirit baptism. Look at verse 3 and 4. If water baptism is implied here, I ain't sure, but I believe with all my heart this is not talking about water baptism, it's talking about spirit baptism. Look at verse 3. Knowing not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into death. Therefore we're bid with him by baptism in the death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. See, what happened when God saved you and I, the Holy Spirit of God, baptized us into Christ? The Bible says we're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, members of his but in particular, the Bible says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. One with him. So in 1 John 4, 17, the last part of the verse, it says, Because as he is, so are we in this world. Not as he is, so are we in heaven. As he is, so are we in this world. We're not equal to Christ. I'm going to tell you, God in heaven say amen. What I'm going to say, we've got a position equal to his. Yes, 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 we're in Him. We're joining with Him. What He's got, we've got. That's right. All this in heaven, too. <laughs> Woo! 
So he died as thus of spirit baptism. I'll take a couple of hymn books. I'm going to show you something because I've seen people see it right here. That's good right there. I've seen people see this truth right here with this illustration, this object lesson. We'll say this book represents Adam. We'll say this book represents Christ. We'll say this handkerchief represents me and you. All right. What did the Spirit of God do? do? Baptize us into Christ. Okay, wait a minute now. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll say this is Adam. You know just like I do, before a person gets saved, he's in Adam. Lost. Lost. So, if I take this book and throw it in the water, what happens to the handkerchief? It goes in the water because it's in the book. If I take this book and throw it in the fire, what happens to the handkerchief? It gets burned. It goes in the fire too because it's in the book. So when Adam said, when Adam died, when Adam fell, we fell with him. But we're no longer in Adam if you're saved. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Hey, you can put that book up. That's history. <laughs> Woo! Now, the Spirit of God, again, the handkerchief represents me and you. will say this book represents Christ. The Spirit of God baptized you and I into Christ. Now, whatever happened to this book happened to the handkerchief. If I throw this book in the water, the handkerchief goes in the water because it's in the book. If I throw this book in the fire, the handkerchief goes in the fire because it's in the book. So when Jesus died, we were in him. We died with him. When he's buried, we were buried. We arose. We arose. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Yes! Not what Paul said in Clarkson 2.10, and you're complete in him. God ain't never done a half job of anything and never will. Woo! Praise God. You say, well, now, wait a minute, preacher. He died 2,000 years ago. How could I have died with him? Okay, I got you. If you're not going to believe that, now, now I know something you believe goes back further than that. It goes back at least 6,000 years ago. You're the Adam. So whatever happened to Adam, whatever was true of Adam, true of you, even when you were born. If you're going to believe the bad part, that you said that you fell, that you died in Adam, then certainly be the good part. <laughs> Woo! That you have died and been buried and raised to walk in unison life in Jesus Christ. <sighs> I got to hurt my time's getting away. So we see what died, when he died, how he died. Fourthly, why he died. Verse 6. Knowing this, that old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that is, rendered inoperative, that henceforth we should not serve sin. There's the reason why we died. So we no longer have to be a slave to that sin nature. That's the book. Thank the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. All that liquor drunk before God saved it. To God be all the glory. I ain't got no taste for it. I'm dead to it. <laughs> Woo! All that rock and roll I used to listen to. I ain't got no taste for it. I'm dead to it. 
Reminds me of Augustine. I don't know really what kind of man he was. They claim he got saved, but I understand he was a very wicked man before he got saved. And after he got saved, he was walking down the sidewalk one day, and one of his former lovers saw him and said, Oh, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it I. And Augustine looked and said, But it ain't I. <laughs> Your wife's dead and gone. And don't misunderstand me. This is something that you and I have to reckon to be so moment by moment, day by day. That sinner get up because it's not, it's not dead. It's not crucified. We are, though. And the sinner, listen, can't make a dead man sin as long as you and I reckon it's dead. And again, remember what death is. It's separation, not annihilation. Okay, let me get done. Full facts, and I'm done. I believe we've got enough time to deal with this. Full facts. I'm going to give you full facts that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that you and I don't have to do this. It's already been done. It's already been done. Thank God. The first fact, the first word found in verse 4. Therefore, we're bed with him by baptism in the death. You want to bury dead things. You don't bury that which is still alive. I mean, when, I, when it comes time for me to die, please don't take me to the mortuary until I'm gone. <laughs> but you want to bury dead things. The very fact that we have been buried with him is proof part that we've already died. Secondly, the word raise, raise, found in verse 6, even, more, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And then, of course, found in uh, Ephesians 2, 6, we've been raised up together with him. You only raise dead things. You revive that which is still alive. You raise that which is completely dead. He didn't use the word revive. He used the word raise, which proves beyond a shadow of doubt that we completely died. We died. Now, I know what that, I'm talking about your position. Your experience may be terrible, but that's your position. And once you and I see that, our condition begins to come up. And it won't fully match your position to get glorified. But man, God forbid it would be content that it be down here when it could be up somewhere up here. If we're not not careful, we'll live our entire Christian life on a plateau about here when we could have lived it on a plateau here. I know that's right. Let me hear it. Then another thing. The verb tense is used in this chapter over and over. I think some 20, 20 something times. Verse 2, for example. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin living any longer there? That verb dead there is that once and for all tense. It's not continuous, not habitual action. Once and for all. We're not 
trying to die ourselves. We're not trying to crucify ourselves. It's already been done. See, the clincher verse on this is verse 10. When did he die? He died on the sin once. Once. Died on sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. He died once, and since we died with him, we die once. Since that flesh rises up, you get in sin, you don't have to die again. You just have to confess up and then record on the fact that you've already died. And God, the Holy Ghost, to make it real in your heart again. All right, I'm fixing to close. Here's the greatest proof to me that I know of for the fact you and I don't do this. It's already been done. Let me just throw this out before I go any further. You say, well, preacher, what are you going to do with 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul said, I die daily? Hey, don't pull it out of its context. He ain't talking about the same thing there. He's talking about Romans 6. What's he talking about in 1 Corinthians 15? He's talking about the body. The resurrection of the body. What Paul was saying there is in essence, he was saying this. He said, man, every day, he said, my life's in jeopardy of dying. I die daily. I mean, I mean, there's a possibility of me getting killed any day, and I, they, they, they try to kill him again and again. See? And I'm stressing that because if you're not careful, you'll be all the time trying to die, trying to die when you're already dead. But the strongest argument that I know of in the Word of God for the fact this has already happened is the means of which God used to put me and you to death. That's crucifixion. Because you can't put yourself to death by crucifixion. You can put yourself to death by jumping off a high building, jumping in the water, drowning yourself. You can put yourself to death by cutting your throat, taking poison, pour gasoline on yourself, set you on fire, set yourself on fire. But you cannot put yourself to death by crucifixion. I'm going to prove it. Suppose we've got a cross here, and I'm going to try to crucify myself. as young as I used to be. Mm. I take a spike, take a hammer, nail my feet to the cross. Well, I got them crucified in. Now I nail this hand to the cross. Doing a good job, ain't we? Feet crucified, this hand. But we got a problem now. <laughs> Not really. You got to remember Jesus didn't even crucify him on himself. That's right. Therefore, the, my father let me, because I laid out my life so forth. So he laid it down, but he didn't drive the nails. That's right. Yeah. That's right, brother. That's When they nailed him to the cross, when he was nailed to the cross, literally, physically, in some spiritual, mystical sense, you and I was nailed to that cross. When he died, we died. That same Bible. Let me ask you something. How do you know that a thief died on the right and one on the left? How do you know that? You weren't there. You know it because the Bible says so. Well, the same Bible that says that thief on the right died and that on the left died says you died. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. 
One thief on the right, one thief on the left, a whole bunch of thieves, a whole bunch of sinners on the center cross. Woo! I'm telling you, just as sure as Jesus died, you died. And when it's bad, you were buried. And when it rose, you rose. We don't work for victory. We don't work towards victory. We're working from victory. Listen, victory was won at Calvary. We're working from victory. Hey, let me share this. How many of you preachers have got some of Dr. John Phillips' books? Don't be ashamed to raise your hand. Let me see your hand, okay? Whole bunch of you, whole bunch of you. He used to preach, teach down here at Faith Baptist Chapel. He wrote a great book on Romans. I mean, great. Go home and read what he says about Romans 6. I think where I got my message, but he's saying the same thing, basically, that I'm saying. But the reason why I'm sharing this, seems like it's toward the end of the chapter. I hadn't read it in a while now. He talks about these two boys got in an argument over this turtle that got his head cut off. My mama used to take a chicken, do a bit like that. Head would come off. Boy, these animal rights folks put you in jail part if you do that now. But you, you, you've seen it. Old chicken hit the ground and keep on flopping. Ain't even got a head. So these two boys got in a heated argument, argument over whether that turtle was dead or alive. One said, he's, he's dead, can't you see? He ain't got no head. They said, no, 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 he's alive. See, he's still moving. No, he's, he's dead, he ain't got no head. No, he's still alive. He's moving. Then another little fella came along and said, listen, would you help us get this settled? That teller right there, is he dead or alive? And this little boy said, Well, he dead, but he don't believe it yet. Give an invitation. Give an invitation. Huh? Give preacher wants to give an invitation. Oh, okay, okay. They won't give an invitation. Okay, would you stand your feet? Heads by eyes closed.